Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. Fun show today with Martinez Evans. I cannot wait to get into it with his slow as AF run club book that just came out, or I should say is going to come out next week. And this is going to be a fantastic book for so many people. And this guy is just phenomenal. And I just was really excited to have him on the show. That's for sure. So uh, before we get into, before we get into it though, I also want to say thank you and a quick shout out to our sponsors today. We got you can and running warehouse, two absolutely fantastic companies that I couldn't do without. So thank you so much to you can and running warehouse. You can check out the links for both in the show notes, but now let's get into it with Martina sevens. All right, Martinez, welcome to the show. Matt, thank you for having me. This is huge. I get an author, someone who's been on the cover of Runner's World Magazine here on the Rambling Runner podcast. This has been an an incredible journey for you. And while you may be a new name to some people who are listening now, to many people, you will not be a new name. You've kind of been on the scene for a while. You've been doing incredible things in the running world. And I'll tell you what, the arrow just keeps pointing up for not only for you personally, but the impact you're making and everything you're doing in the running world. So first of all, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, man. This is going to be great. And you even have the branded attire. You got the, you got all the gear. And this is an audio <laughs> platform, not video, but we will have the video part later with the five shoe questions at the end of the show. But I guess I'm going to start with the brand. Did you ever think you're going to have like your own branded clothes in far in terms of like your running journey? And again, you talk about it like in the beginning of your book where the running journey started, which is really exciting. And you had audacious goals from the beginning. But yeah. like, shoot, like, who, I would have thought like, and even your doctor was like, hey, this is, this is wild. This is crazy. But you've like not only achieved that, but gone way past it. Did you ever think like, shoot, I'm going to have my own running clothing attire. That's where I'm going to be at. No, um, absolutely not. Didn't I think that um, I'll have my own running clothing attire, but you know, um, when the calling calls, you answer the phone. I love it. I love it. And, and, and walk me through the walk me through the design there. Again, this is an audio platform, but I love it because you, you rock it in a lot of your videos and a lot of your pictures. It's even on uh, the cover of your book. So just walk me through the, the, the little logo there and the little figure you got on it. Oh, yeah. So the Paisley Turtle is what we call it, right? So our mascot, Terry the Turtle, is on it. And so one of the things that I wanted to do with the frustration of um, not finding athletic clothing to fit me, right? Most of the time when things do fit me, it's in black or blue, black, blue, gray. That is boring. And in the summertime, it's hot. So I wanted something that expresses my personality just as much as like anything else that I put on. And it hit me. I was like, what if I took the turtle and wrapped it in paisley? And it just became the design that just worked out the best. And here you are, rocking it all the time, which is really fun and exciting. So your book is going to be dropping very shortly, and we're recording this in the middle of May. Your book drops, was it the week of June 6th, correct? June 6th, day before Global Running Day. Day before Global Running Day. All right, and what's the title? I mean, I've already said the title in the intro, but I got to ask you, even though I've already read, you know part of the book absolutely slow af run club the ultimate guy for anybody who wants to run i love it and i love that i love the the anybody as part of that and you detail your journey in the book and you've detailed your journey in many places before the book uh came out you've been chronicled all over the place in print video and audio which is really exciting and, and it's helped grown this platform um 
When you think about your running in terms of not just what you've accomplished in the last 10 years or so, but just on a day-to-day basis, how much of it, even like say you went on a run this morning, for example, or we went on a run like earlier this week, how much of it is for you and all the things that you get out of running versus now or say and or now, like just the, the community aspect of this and just the, the societal and interrelational aspect that you get from your running and just the, the community you've built around it? You know what? That is a very interesting question. I would say 80% of my running is for the people and then I, I got 20% for myself. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, when you think about that for the people part, is that mentally daunting for you as someone who you know is is an avatar for certain people who are trying to get into it who get a lot of motivation from um from your journey and what you're able to do or is that like a mantle that you like that gives you energy and really helps you uh do a lot of the things that you're trying to do you know at at this point i I think it's just a part of the job man um it's i would say this calling chose me i didn't necessarily choose this calling so right now, it's a part of the job. There has been times where, you know, I've talked to a few friends and I'm like, dang, like, I wish I could make running fun again. Um, but for me, I would never have thought that running in the sport of running, me being a 300-pound man who runs marathons and does it for a living, like, that would be my job. It's wild. It re- it really is. It's an and- it, I say wild, and I mean that in the most positive way possible because it, it's phenomenal, right? Yeah. I mean, it really is an, an amazing thing. And there are not a lot of people, but there are a couple people who are able to derive, you know, like a job while not being a, a professional runner in terms of like from a competition perspective, right, right, right. but are professional in terms of like, hey, this is my job. I work in the running industry. And I'm a non-traditional runner, as you talk about in the early in the book. And it really is an inspiring thing. And I think it, it uh, also, it's just personally, it must just be like a hoot to be like, wow, like this is, this is my job. Like who would have thought 10 years ago that not only would I be doing this, but it would be, you know, something that I would be able to get like revenue from. Yeah. I, I think that's, a, that's, that's the best way to put it. And I think also is one of the things where my family don't necessarily understand what I do. Like, not a carpenter, not a computer programmer. They're like, so you're doing the internet thing again? I'm, yep, I'm doing the internet thing again. I love that. All right, let's talk about starting points mm-hmm. because you um, do a great job of, of explaining your starting point as a runner. You know, it's the beginning of this journey for you in terms of being in the doctor's office. And it comes across as one of those, like, you know, Again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it does come across like a rock bottom moment, like mm-hmm. just like either from a, a frustration and anger perspective, but potentially from a health perspective, but more just in terms of like the I just don't want to deal with this anymore type nonsense. And talk to me about like starting from that place and what and what that means for people, because oftentimes when people make or are trying to make a a paradigm shifting move whether that's health-related or job-related or relationship-related, oftentimes those things really don't happen for a lot of people unless they kind of hit that bottom point. We're like, okay, now this is this is the, what I need to really kind of put myself in a new zone and to really make a lasting change as opposed to like changing for a day or a week or maybe even a month. Um, so, yeah, so let's talk about that. 
at that period of time, I was working at Men's Warehouse. So I was a suit salesman. I was on my feet for eight to 10 hours a day in a suit, um, wearing hard bottom dress shoes on concrete, wrapped in carton, carpet, right? So like that's where I was at. I was I was moving around. I was moving and shaking. And going to this doctor, you know, I, I went to the doctor because I was having some hip issues, right? And I I didn't know if it came from me being a pre- uh, a previous football player or if um, it came from like me working at this job or whatever. However, you know, being in this doctor's office and you know him being like, "You're fat, lose weight or die." That put me in a, they put me in a whole different zone. <laughs> I, I, I would say that put me in a whole different zone because one part of me was like, who, who are you? Like, who are you to tell me this when I've came here to figure out my hip and here you come talking about, well, you need to lose weight and die. And the other part with me was like, you know, the fighter part of me was like, F you do. Like I, I, I don't have to subscribe to this. So I think for me, when what was really my low moment and like the really the 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 rock bottom moment for lack of better words is when I got on that treadmill and couldn't run faster than 15 seconds, right? Or longer than 15 seconds and fail. Like I fell off the treadmill. My 300 pound body made a loud noise while I was inconveniently sandwiched between two gazelles, right? And that was the low point, me picking my big ass up and running up out of there because I didn't want nobody to acknowledge what just happened. So, like, that was the low point. And I also think, like, the turning point for me also came when I reached out to the door and I had this tattoo on my wrist. I have a tattoo on my right wrist, right? And it says, no struggle, no progress. So, as I was reaching out to the door... I think the low moment came and the the signal for change came so close to each other that I knew um like this was this was the calling that I had to answer. And when the shine comes off the apple in terms of that moment that mm-hmm. like that that like that sense of enlightenment of like oh, this is this is what I'm going to do this is how I'm going to do it and you know this is kind of like again that paradigm shifting moment when that moment passes, the emotion has gone, you're now maybe weeks or months, maybe even years after that. Do you hearken back to that time or do you derive motivation or inspiration from, from different sources as, as time has evolved and you've continued along this journey? So 10 years has passed since um, I've, you know, met that doctor, right? 10 years have passed since I've uh, fallen off the treadmill. I would say for the first year, year and a half of me going from falling off the treadmill to um, me running my first marathon was the sheer spite of this doctor. Of like, oh, I'm going to prove you wrong, and I'm not going to stop until I prove you wrong, right? And then that happens. You prove him wrong. Nobody tells you about post uh, post race depression post-race blues, right? And all the things that comes with putting everything that you have into like this one thing that once it's accomplished, you feel empty about it. So after that, I had to like go through the whole process of going to therapy and like really understanding and processing like, who am I now? 
and what am I going to do now since I ran that marathon and I proved that Dr. Morong and I moved on and so on and so forth. And throughout the process of therapy, one of the things that, you know, I learned was like, well, you know, you can do more than one race, right? Like you don't have to just necessarily train for one particular race. I remember talking to one of my friends, um, pavement runner, shout out to pavement runner. And I was asking him, I was like, Hey man, like, do you train all year round? And he was like, well, I keep it like a 15 mile base on me year round. And me being like, Oh, Okay. I can do what somewhat similar to that, like, and, and have races all year round. So it has evolved. I, I think that's a long way to saying like it has evolved. So it has evolved from, you know, Martinez angry, doctor called him fat. I'm going to prove you wrong. And then it has evolved from that to like, Oh, I'm gonna put as many races on my calendar because this is, this is fun. Um, I'm having so much fun traveling around the world and doing that type of thing to like now where it has evolved from that to, oh, this is for the people. And I've ran eight marathons. I know I will run more of them. I know that I will complete them. I know that there's going to be times where I may not finish a race, but like, I know all of that stuff. Right. So right now the journey is, is for the people to get other people to understand that you all can do this. You can do this in the body that you have now and let me uh, let my story, my journey, and the things I've learned in this past 10 years help you to get you to that journey as well. So what were some of the early fun moments that you had in running before anyone knew that you were doing any of this? Trickle pudding is um, something that somebody told me to go get when I was, if I ever made it to London, right? I had a chance to go to London after my, maybe my first marathon. And I spent my whole weekend at this conference, uh, during the times I wasn't at the conference, running around London, looking at going to all the pubs and asking them, hello, sir, madam, like, by chance, would you have any trickle pudding? And they'll look at me with the most weirdest look in the face and says, nope, we don't sell trickle pudding. And then just laugh and then run to the next bar and pub. Like that was so fun, right? That, like, I would never... Never imagined that I would be a in London for this conference talking about running, right? But I would also never thought that, hey, like I'm in London. Somebody was like, hey, you need to try trickle pudding. And then I talked to one of my friends like, hey, like before I leave here, I need to get trickle pudding. And they was like, well, you just want to run around all these pubs then? I was like, okay. And it was like the funnest thing and like the most joyful thing that I had like throughout all of the years of running that wasn't a race. Interesting. Now, let me ask you this question. If, as you're evolving as a runner and you're having that initial moment of like, okay, like I had this dream, I had this big audacious goal and I got it, mm -hmm. but I don't feel inherently different. Right? Like you have like that moment, right? It's like that, the idea that you mentioned of like, all right, you got your big goal. Now what? It's like, well, I thought there was going to be like this change. Right. Like, I was yeah. supposed to be a different person, but I feel the same. Like my, my internal monologue, that's the person inside of me is still the same. Right. So as you're going through that, did you ever have, you know, kind of not second guess the journey, but more just like, okay, do I need to pivot here? Is this like, okay, I did this 
And obviously, like, this isn't going to be, like, the end-all, be-all of my life because I still feel the same way as I did before or, like, some version of that. And maybe I'm able to try something new or I want to pivot to this new thing or, or try this or that. Like, what was there ever early temptations to maybe make running more of a, a season of your life type endeavor as opposed to a lifetime endeavor? Absolutely. Um, you know, throughout this time, CrossFit was a big thing. Going paleo was a big thing. Uh, triathlons was uh, a big thing. Everybody wanted to be an Ironman at, at, at a given point. But for some reason, running just became that thing for me. And then the other thing I, I learned throughout all of this is that um, those finish line moments is, you know, just a celebration of, of the hard work that you put in, right? So the the journey and the celebration to be in the application that you actually applied yourself versus that you actually made it to the finish line. Because most people, uh, I have that idea and then it'll just go like um, a fart in the wind. I also want to give a shout out to Running Warehouse. I love Running Warehouse. It's the spot where I get all of my running gear online. They have all of the new releases. They have unbelievable sales. They have fantastic reviews on all the shoes and they have all the updated stats and the information, how a shoe fits. Is it too, is it really wide? Is it a little bit too long? Do you need to size up, size down? They have all the information that you would need. They're getting better all the time. And I just can't recommend it highly enough. I've been a huge proponent of running warehouse for many years. It's a website that I literally check every day, maybe to my wife's dismay, but it's absolutely fantastic. You can go check out Running Warehouse by using the link in the show notes. That is an affiliate link, which doesn't mean anything for you. It doesn't change the pricing at all, but it does help the show. So go use that link in the show. Also, as you may know, every single episode that I'm doing an interview, I always do my five shoe questions sponsored by Running Warehouse. And that's exactly what we did today. Also, you can check all those out over on YouTube as well at the Rambling Runner YouTube channel. This is kind of like an awkward pivot, but I want to make sure I bring this up before I, I forget before we move on to something else. Because I think it's, it relates to early part of the journey type stuff. Um, you mentioned in the book, like you have you know, friends and family being like, hey, why would you want to do a white person sport? Right. That that mm -hmm. was something that you had heard. And again, we know like running is a, is a international sport. Right. But maybe like in, with the United States, it's definitely is perceived that way, you know, by and large for a large, large portion of people. With that said, there's one thing, and you, and you talk about this, like, you know, hate or negativity that you get from people that you don't know, whether that's in person or over social media or on web websites and things like that. That kind of negativity is very different when it comes from friends and family members. So yeah. can you walk me through kind of some of the, the experiences that you have had early on in the journey? Um, because I, I would imagine that that that's that that. that that stings a little more, and I think would have a little bit more of a, a more of a bite to it than just some sort of anonymous person that you're never going to see again. <laughs> Absolutely, Matt. <laughs> That's the thing about family, right? They they see you as a monolith. My family now, even though I'm however old I am, I haven't lived in the state of Michigan or in Detroit since high school. They still see me as little Marty or big Marty or whatever Marty. Um, at that time before I left high school, right? So when I talk to my friends and family about, hey, I'm going to do this or, hey, I'm going to do that. Yeah, they're like, why? Why would you want to do that? That doesn't make sense, right? And it took about 10 years, right, for people and even some of my friends 
have these conversations with me and they're like, dang, you know what, Martinez? I'm going to be straight up with you. When you told me you was going to train for a marathon, I thought you was crazy. I wouldn't imagine that you would do it. And I remember you asking me, hey, do, 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 do I want to go on this journey with you? And I said, no. And some of those people have apologized and even regret not saying yes because they look at their lives of like, dang, like I see how much running has changed your life. And, you know, we have this phrase of like, why did you leave me behind? And it's like, I didn't leave you behind. I asked you to come with me. And you said no. So I had to go by myself, by myself, even if I didn't want to. And now that I went on the journey by myself, I became a fully realized individual because of that journey. Now you're looking back and now you are thinking about what could have been for yourself if you came along with that journey. Right. I would assume that if you, you know, maybe they even said this, but if you had a chance to like, you know, get them like on like, you know, if you see like MTV reality show, they'll show like the second camera, like someone like yeah. enters like the interview room, like after the fact, like this is what I was thinking when I said that right during the reality show. Like imagine if you had like a family member in like one of those booths, right? Afterwards, like, oh, well, the reason I said that to, you know, to Martinez was I'm just, I'm worried about him. I want to protect him. I want to keep him safe. You know, like they're just, they're worried about just what family is like, right? They want to keep sure they keep their family safe and mm-hmm. happy and protected and sometimes that that insulation is love and it can be so comforting. Other times it's more of like a cocoon where you want to bust out of it. Right. So what was that like just in terms of if you've ever had some of those conversations after the fact of like people just trying to protect you or what they thought was best for you. But in reality, it was more constrictive than supportive. Oh, yeah, it, it's most most definitely that. Right. Uh, it is the, the cocoon versus. It's, it's a love that's made out of cocoon, right? That you really want to burst out of it because it is mothering. Um, I think that by trying to necessarily put your own beliefs on somebody else, and that's pretty much what they're doing, right? They're putting their beliefs on you. Um, you're stifling that person's growth. And I think that's one of the things that I was able to learn because I was fortunate enough to leave home or like leave Detroit to go to college. So... I seen things. I had to experience things. I had to figure out things knowing that um, there were nobody who was going to save me because all of my family was back in Michigan. And with that being said, I had to be able to save myself. Now, if you love and support and cocoon that person, like they might not even leave the nest, right? They may not even bust out to even be the beautiful butterfly because they've been so sheltered and they haven't been able to like, figure it out and just figure out life. And I've seen that through um, family members. I've seen that through friends um, who have like, I wouldn't say necessarily left, but who hasn't been able to like experience the life and I'll say things and they think I'm like flexing on them for, for lack of better words. Right. You know, for example, you tell, you know, telling the story of like, yeah, you know, I was in London and um, like I, I ran around looking for trickle pudding. It's like, ooh, big time, big time with the London. <laughs> and it's like, you know, people travel internationally like way more than like some people do that on a monthly basis. Like I just went to London once, or like, oh, you know, 
I ran Berlin Marathon, and, you know, so when I was in Berlin, I drank this beer, and it's like, ooh, look at you drinking beer in Berlin. And it's like, it's it's not a big deal, but they see it as a, a flex or like you flexing on them. And it's one of those things where is it is it resentment? Is it, you know, like what are the things that they're trying to process that um, kind of upsets that I'm doing this and I'm living my life in the most fully authentic way? And how have you changed over the last 10 years when you hear people that either are friends of yours, family members, or even just like, I guess, random people on the Internet, when you hear somebody who is authentically trying to do something that is seems like a pretty audacious paradigm shifting goal for them in terms of like when you hear that stuff now how do you process that versus maybe how you would have processed it i guess 11 years ago so break before you went on this journey so how i process now is 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 more or less like okay like i want to be the friend that's like yep this is possible what do you need how can i support you right I, I wish that in many times in my life, there was just people who were just was like, you know what? That's possible. What do you need? How can I support you? Or I don't know how to support you, but I'm here to listen, help you think through, yada, 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 right? Whereas, like in the past, you know, when you are in uh, 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 that comfortable state, like you may not think that. It's like, you know, you might have that same situation or thought of like, yeah, like why why would you want to do that? Like, oh, you are running a marathon? why couldn't be me and i think that's for another thing is that for a lot of people they they center themselves when somebody else is you know putting their goals and dreams out there like matt i want to be you know i want to be the 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 biggest podcaster you're like you're gonna be the biggest podcaster this literally happened last week (laughs) this happened to me last week i was talking to a friend of mine carolyn sue so she's like, hey, are you going to have Martinez have, I think you should have Martinez have on the podcast. I'm like, well, we're already emailing back and forth. He's going to come on the show. She's like, oh, okay. Sounds good. She's like, yeah, I think that would be great for him. I'm like, no, it'd be great for me. He's got like 66,000 followers. He's got 10,000 person run club. He's got a book coming out. Like, I'm just Matt Chittum. Like, this is good for me. It's not good for him. Um, she's like, no, what do you mean? I'm like, I could never like do any of this stuff he's doing. And I'm like, and I'm sitting here talk- hearing you talk. I'm like, yeah. Wait, like, what kind of limiting belief is that? Again, right. I'm not, I'm not trying to throw shade on you. Like, what you're doing is simply amazing, and I'm not saying that I could do what you're doing, mm-hmm. but just me automatically being like, "Nah, I can't do that." Like, that's, that's forget about that. Like, that's, that's way beyond anything that I'm capable of doing. But it's so easy to fall into that default. It is, especially when it comes to running, where everything is about numbers, right? Everything competition-wise is about numbers. What your numbers look like, and what my numbers look like to compare who's the better runner, right? And I've just taken a situation or like just the mindset of how can I support? Let me be the conduit, right? You know, a hand, an open hand receives more than a closed hand. And that's more or less uh, the, the mindset I've, I've, I've started to take is that let me help. Like, let me help, try to help. Let me try to support. And yes, you can do this, right? And I, I just feel like if more people just took that, whole that whole thought of yeah you can do this let's figure it out um more people will be able to get to their goals and dreams faster all right let's you've been an inspiration and motivation for a lot of people let's take let's go back 10 years ago mm-hmm. um when you started your journey who were some of the people that you looked at either close up people in your community or maybe from afar 
reading about people, learning about people that inspired you, whether they were running or not, just in terms of people that you looked at as like, hey, if they can do something, maybe I can do something like that. Um, few people come to mind. Um, I don't know if you heard of E.T., the hip hop preacher. I have um, Eric Thomas. I have his book. Eric Thomas. So I was on the bandwagon when he first started doing the series, Thank God It's Monday. Um, so I remember seeing, watching that journey of like him being in the front yard somewhere and be like, all right, y'all, it's E.T. It's the motivator. Thank God it's Monday, yada, yada, yada. And like watching those videos. And me being like, dang, like this guy is putting in a lot of work. Like, how can I do that? Um, Goggins, when Can't Hurt Me first came out, blew my mind. Because I'm like, you know what? Like, this guy really understands um, the value of adversity and being able to go through hard things. And to do that, do I believe in everything that he says or like all of his politics? Not necessarily. But what I do believe in is that going through adversity and pushing yourself um, to the brink so that you can be better um, is, is what you can do. Another person I believe in. Um, what else? Who else? Just other than that, like just personal friends, right? Um, I had a friend, her name was Danny. She used to stay in Boston. And like every year she would just run Boston Marathon. Like she would run, raise money for uh, Teddy's team. And she would do the same thing every year. Raise money for Teddy's team. Um, and run Boston Marathon. And like she was just so happy and excited to do that. And like that was one of the first people that kind of um, enlightened me the like you can run Boston and it don't necessarily have to be this like time thing. Right. So being able to be like, oh, wow, like there, I can still participate in this, this race that's, that has this mythical um, allure around it. And I don't necessarily have to like, kill myself to um run super fast to do it right yeah absolutely we're going to get back to to peer on peer inspiration and motivation in a second especially when we talk about your running club um but before we get there Hey folks, are you tired of the spike and crash and GI distress that comes with sugar-based sports nutrition? Well, it's time to give you can a try. You can energy energy powders, gels, and bars utilize steady release carbs instead of sugar so you don't feel the highs and lows in energy. I use a scoop of you can powder every single morning as part of my breakfast also the edge energy gels oh my gosh they are the best they have that consistent fuel they also taste fantastic and they're almost like a liquid gel they go down so smooth without any lingering aftertaste in your mouth the top marathoners in the u.s emily sisson kira damato sarah hall emma bates all rely on you can to fuel their training and they're raising emma fueled her fifth place finish at boston with one edge energy gel every 5K and felt strong throughout the race without experiencing any GI distress. You can't award-winning edge energy gels just last longer than other gels and provides a more consistent feeling of energy, all with zero sugar. Here's your chance, because UCAN is offering Rambling Runner listeners an exclusive chance to try six energy samples for free. So six energy gel edge samples for free. All you pay is the shipping cost. Head over to UCAN.co forward slash rambling to to claim this exclusive offer that link is in the show notes that's ucan.co forward slash rambling for the edge energy gel offer also if you're already a fan of ucan and you just want to save 20 percent on all their products then just use ramble code rambling at checkout to do just that that big hairy audacious goal you've done it you 
are here as someone who is like can be a model for other people. You people who I'm sure come up to you all the time who present like, hey, this is what I want to do. And they're coming to you not only for support, but also probably for some validation, right? Like, mm-hmm. hey, if if, if Martinez gives like looks at this and says, Yeah, you can do it, like that that vote of confidence probably means the world to them. However, as someone who's gone through this and probably has tried other things that maybe like I had a big old and I didn't get it. What are some of the things that you would tell people like, Hey, I'm not stomping on your dreams. I'm not trying to put cold water on you, but there, you've probably seen some people who've gone after these dreams in a way that maybe there's characteristics to their, their either their plan or their method or the steps they are trying to take that, that lessen the possibility of this working out. Right. Mm-hmm. Like someone's like, I'm going to run a marathon. And all of a sudden, like you look back like a week later, you're like, yeah, I, I could tell that probably wasn't going to happen. Right. Because of because of X, Y, Z or whatever. Like so if you're trying to get help people along this journey, I'm sure there's probably a bunch of things like here, are a bunch of things to do. But what's like the not to do list that like if you approach <laughs> it this way, like there's a pretty good chance you're going to flame out early or you're going to be really <laughs> disappointed too early that it's going to like kind of kill the baby in the cradle kind of feel uh-huh. to it. So, you know, the first thing is that my job is not to shit on anybody's dreams. <laughs> no, and I don't want to present it like that, but I'm, I'm thinking more like as a parent, right? Like if my daughter was like, hey, I want to do X, Y, Z. It's like, yes. First of all, yes, you can do that. But the second of all, like, you're not going to do that next week. You know, like yes. you're not, you're going to like, th- there's, 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 there's the audacious goal, but there's also like the parts of it like, hey, like you might have to rethink this part of the plan. If you really want to get to that goal, kind of feel to it. Timeline and context. So if somebody comes to me and say, hey, Martinez, I'm I'm going to run a marathon in 30 days. And if you don't know this person, you know, somebody might be looking at them it's like, oh, okay, like you're going to run a marathon in 30 days. And then you don't necessarily have the answer to know, like, shit, did they just run a marathon? Did they been training, things of that sort. So I think that's one thing is really understanding in context and then timeline. They're like, yo, I'm going to run a marathon in 30 days and I'm just getting off the couch. All right, let's talk about like managing your expectations. Um, So like that's more or less how I do it. I I, I try my best not to be like, nope, not going to do it. Your actions, behaviors don't do it. And just more or less trying to get them to – um get it through what's called motivational interviewing. I never, I don't know if you ever heard this term called motivational interviewing where you kind of ask people questions in a certain way that like they have to answer the question for you. Um, And then like by asking them a certain set of questions, they kind of resolve the answer or the issue um, for themselves without you having to given them the answer to the, what's the name? So when you start asking them like, oh, so example of this, Martinez, I'm going to run a, a marathon in 30 days. Okay. So tell me more about your training. Like, what's what's going on there? And it's like, well, I, I really haven't trained yet. I'm just going to get up and um, go run that marathon that day. And it's like, okay. So have you done anything else? Um, like, so you're not training running, but have you done anything, uh, other physical activity? And it's like, nope, I'm, I haven't done that. And it's like, okay. So, so what you're telling me is that you haven't trained, you want to run a marathon in 30 days and you have no previous experience. Is that really what you're telling me? And it's like, yes, I'm telling you that I don't have experience in running a marathon. It's like, oh, okay. 
do you think that's a good idea? Like, would you tell your kid or your best friend or whoever to go try run a marathon in 30 days without um, having training? And they're, they're, most of the times they'd be like, no, I wouldn't tell them to do that. And then I'll, I'll come back to, so why are you asking yourself to do it? so like that's how motivational interviewing kind of works where you get them to like see the answer for themselves without you verbally have to tell them matt you trying to run a marathon in 30 days and you haven't done any training yo that's fucking crazy don't do that right right and 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 this this is this is exactly where i wanted to go because again i don't want to i don't want to stomp anyone's dreams either i want Mm -hmm. everyone to achieve their dreams but part of that is knowing how to go after it Mm-hmm. Right. If you go after it with that kind of like, again, I want to speak too broadly here, but like that kind of that manic in the moment energy of like, duh, the inspiration has hit. Let's go. Let's go. You're right. And it's like, again, that could be a good starting off point, but you also can't maintain that kind of energy the whole time. Right. You have to like th- there, there are other aspects that come along with that. And oftentimes it's so easy to get swept up in that like avalanche of emotion and like. Two weeks later, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm not doing this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how many people have done that, right? Like, yeah. you know, like you have friends who maybe have been, you know, addicted to cigarettes or something, right? And they're like, yep, this is the time. I'm quitting. I'm quitting, right? Or like, I'm going to write that screenplay. Like, here you go. You wrote a book, right? Like, that's for a lot of people. The book journey is like that. I'm going to write that yeah. book. I'm going to write that book. Like, it, But it doesn't come to fruition. So you've done this now, not only from a running perspective, but from the book, book publishing perspective. Were there you know, parallels in those journeys from the, the writing side and the running side? Absolutely. Um, the best way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. So, I thought it was with barbecue sauce. No, no. Or, or with barbecue sauce as well, you know. <laughs> you know, barbecue sauce is pretty tasty. Um, so, and the same thing with marathon training, right? The best way to run a marathon is one mile at a time. So when you get these like huge audacious type of things. For example, I got my book deal. They were like, all right, Martinez, we want 75,000 words in the next, I don't know, 16 to 18 months. And like, you're stuck on that 75,000 words. Like how many, what, how many pages is that? You start thinking like your like mind. How many words are in the wrong. dictionary? How many words? I got? <laughs> like how many words, you know, you start thinking about this stuff. Like, how many words is the Bible? You start asking yourself this question. So one of the things that I did was I, I kind of pulled back and, and, and asked myself, like, okay, you know, it's 75,000 words. I have this amount of time. All right. Let's think about it like a marathon training plan. How many times do I want to write a day? Just like if I'm asking myself for a marathon, how many times do I want to run a day? All right. I want to run or I want to write three to four times a day. I mean, a week. Cool. All right. Three to four times a week. Let's say you you do it on a consistent basis, more days, uh, most days of the week. So you do it four days a week. All right. How many, if you stood to this training plan, how many words per day did you need to write this in order to come up with 75,000 words? And I did the math and it came up to be somewhere around like 200 words. So if I wrote 200 words a day for four days over 18 months, um, I'll have that done. But if you know anything about writing or if you know anything about like gaining momentum and getting into a flow state, like 
is it's typically the two the first two hundred words or the first two miles that's the hardest part in all of running. So like once you get past that part, everything else is 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 good. So yeah, I did the two hundred words, and then some days I end up p- pumping out four thousand words, and other days it was like five hundred words. But just staying consistent with that. Uh, help me get there and get to my goal a lot faster than me being like, ah, I'm going to do this. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't have a plan. And I'm going to continue to put it off. Because that's mostly, most of the times what happens is that we have this big audacious goal. We don't know how to get there. And then we put it off. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's going to come. It's going to come. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Like, I, I don't know how, but it's going to keep. It's going to happen. And it, it don't happen. At what point did you become comfortable with being a public figure in the running space? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm comfortable now. Well, you better be. (laughs) You're you're going on a hundred different podcasts and you're publishing a book. Um, I don't know. I I think it just kind of came, um, naturally so as you start to run and you're in the back of the pack and like you're meeting people right and it's like hey is this your first race it's like nope it's not my first race and you start to have this conversation the same thing is with becoming like a public figure right like you you focus on that one person and you try to give that person the most um or like the the best experience possible for that particular moment right um someone famous once said you know it, it People don't remember what you say, but they most definitely remember how you made them feel. Yeah, for sure. I think that, that's a that's a great point. And as you're going through this process, especially with the book, did you ever have like those self-sabotaging moments or like the who do I think I am kind of moments or are those things? Because I think for a lot of people, especially on the self-sabotage, um, I know I've gone through it for sure. Of, of again, maybe it wasn't overt. I probably didn't notice it at the time. And I mean, I certainly knew that I probably wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing, but I probably didn't label it as self-sabotage during the, during the, during the events. Mm-hmm. Um, but I look back on it now, it's like, all right, that was obviously like self-sabotage because I was fearful or it was a way for me to like safeguard myself, like a verse instead of being like, like a try hard who like, you know, like we all know the try hards, right? Yeah. And, you know, then if it doesn't work out, then it's like, oh man, look at that. Look at that guy, you know? And the in it versus the person who's like kind of leans back a little bit. If it doesn't work out, oh well, it's okay. Whatever. I could have done harder. So that's the thing, right? Is that most of the time when people self sabotage, they're afraid of something. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, is it you know they they're afraid that they their dreams might actually come to fruition, or they're afraid of like what would happen with the failure, right? Right. And most of the time, what what I found out is that. Like our thoughts is going to make this thing worse in our head than it can possibly be. So I remember when I ran my first marathon that I DNF and I thought like the world was just going to open up and people are going to be laughing and pointing and all this other stuff. And when it actually happened and I got there and nobody was there and um, I, I didn't get a medal, um, like I just went home <laughs> and, and as I sat in the shower, I was like, Oh, 
I guess I guess that wasn't that bad. <laughs> so I I think that for most people who are going through this, you know, it's not as bad as you think it is if you give it your your all, right? Like my my parents used to say, uh, put your whole ass into it. Like don't half ass it. Like if you're gonna do something, put your whole ass into it. I literally made Rambling Runner coffee mugs with that saying on it. And I was like, I was I was I was, I was giving them out a couple years ago. <laughs> So you heard it before as well, like I like it. Yeah, I didn't get it, it from my parents. I got it. I, that was that was my parents were a little too buttoned up for that, but I definitely heard it and I liked it. But I think that's the thing is that it's okay with putting your all into something and you not getting the result that mm-hmm. you expected to get. Right? I ran Berlin. I trained extra hard for it. I even hired a trainer to like get me there. I'm doing. Five days worth of uh, training plan, you know, five days worth of running, two days worth of speed workouts. Like, she was whooping my ass. And I ran that race, and it, was, it, it wasn't my race. I DNF that race, right? However, luckily I had another race the following week, so I couldn't beat myself up too much. And PR'd. Fastest race I ever did. Jeez Louise. Yeah, what a, I mean that that that's great. I mean that, that's that's the perfect story for that 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 um that thread. I mean just the, that bounce back and not not wallowing in the self pity of the moment and like oh what did I waste all this time on? I flew all the way across the world right. just a DNF. How much money did I spend on this DNF? Right, all that those feelings, whether it's in the lead up or the travel and all of that stuff, and and to bounce back and have the positivity, right? Because that's the thing is that oftentimes even if you have the fitness, if like if your mental game isn't right. It can, uh, it doesn't necessarily come to fruition. Exactly. Like, imagine if LeBron James, like, if he had a bad game and just fell all to pieces and and never performed uh, any better again after having a bad game. It would resemble my basketball career. (laughs) (laughs) But I think, like, that's the thing about having uh, what I like to call like an athlete's mindset is that when you have to perform, you you have to have a short uh, memory on like the the bad things or the shitty things that happen because you have to be able to bounce back quickly because you got another game or another thing to perform at um either days later or sometimes you think about baseball like a double header like you you gotta forget it or like put it behind you because you got a whole nother obstacle ahead of you that you need to focus on yeah and with your slow af run club um, over 10,000 people, part of that, and a lot of those people following your lead, and they view you, again, as a peer, right? Mm-hmm. This isn't, hey, I want to be like, you know, n- you know, name whatever elite runner you're thinking of or if you're going to a different sport, right? They view you as, you know, while inspirational and motivational, but also as someone like them, right? Mm-hmm. That is inherently like, I like being a part of this because these are my people and I can see myself in them, you know, the positives and the negatives, right? Just right. that this, this, this is my group. So again, when you mentioned before the people that you looked at early in your journey as these are people who motivate me or inspire me two of the people were, you know, famous people. And one of them was, it was just a person that you knew. Talk to me about that, those kind of peer to peer relationships, whether they're peer to peer because they live in the same city or the same community, or just that they see themselves in this other person in the power of those kinds of peer to peer relationships in supporting in one another or inspiring another person. Yeah. So peer to peer support is an amazing thing because, um, 
A, there's this research that has says that when you perform like physical activity in this peer setting, um, it makes hard work or like a hard workout seem easier because you have somebody else to do it with you with, right? And even with this peer social relationship of like social media, blogs, things of that sort, it's somewhat of the same way of um, I can do it because I've seen Martinez do it and he's able to share his story or his journey around like the pitfalls he might have. So then I can also look out for those pitfalls as well. So just having that peer-to-peer um, makes everything feel easier and easeful as you are going through your journey as well. Right. And what's it been like for you as someone who gets that kind of peer-to-peer relational feedback from a wide variety of people, right? You might have some people who look at you from a peer-to-peer perspective, like, all right, Martinez is a black man just like me, and he's running. Or someone might be like, hey, Mart- I, I, someone might be a different race and a different gender, but be like, hey, Martinez and I have a similar body type. So we're peer to peer, right? And, mm-hmm. and a whole other panoply of options. What's it been like for you as someone, as people who are connecting with you in a peer to peer way, but who may be wildly different from each other, just in terms of like your own relation to that? Um, man, that's a part of the game, right? I think that when I was a sales rep, words grow consultant at Ben's Warehouse, right? My job was to, um, like, figure out what these individuals need, like, give that to them and make sure I make the sale, right? And by doing that, you have to figure out how can you make a relationship with this person within less than 90 seconds, right? So, you know, a good salesman does that. Hey, what do you do for a living? Tell me more. Okay. I don't have a relationship. Well, no. What do you do for hobbies? Okay. I don't have nothing about that. What sports team do you like? Okay, you're not into sports, right? It's more or less like trying to figure out what is the common ground that you all have together to break the ice to continue to go, right? And I think that's the same thing when it comes to um, this parasocial relationship, right? Where individuals may relate to me on my body size or my skin color or um, my voice or whatever, whatever. Um, But it's really about helping them break the ice so they know that they too can do what they want to do as well. So it's a part of the job. Right. And you make a point in the subtitle of your book of it being everybody. This mm-hmm. is for everybody. So just more specifically, just one last pitch before we get into the last segment of the episode. Um, who should pick up your book? Who who, who who are the people when you are sitting down and you are writing it? Who did you envision? Not necessarily like a, you don't have to get super specific if you don't want to, but like when you're thinking, who is this book for? How did that, how did you envision that question? So, um, the first thing is that when it comes to everything that I do, it's, it's usually for my own selfish reasons. So, like, the reason why I wear this turtle merch is because I I wanted clothes, right? And none of the brands would make it. So, when it came to this book, I thought about, like, who Martinez was back in 2012, all of the books that he read, um, and all the experiences that he had in 2012, and all the questions that he had, and... Um, how sometimes like how most of those answers have haven't been answered yet when it comes to me coaching other individuals. I love that. All right. People want to pick up the book. Where should they go? The book is everywhere. Books are sold. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it at Barnes and Noble. Um, and if you're looking for an autographed copy, I have partnered with a, um, 
a women-led bookstore in Pennsylvania. It's called Pocket Books. So if you go to pocketbookshop.com and search for the book, any book um, that's purchased from there, uh, I will go to Pennsylvania and personally sign them myself. Hey, now. Look at you. That sounds great. All right. So let's get into five shoe questions presented by Running Warehouse. I love shoes. I know you love shoes. We've already talked about it a little bit offline. So this is always a fun segment to do uh, for everybody. Again, people should go listen to the episode on the Rambling Runner podcast. They want to hear the full interview. But let's talk about shoes. So, Martinez, what is your favorite daily trainer? So right now, my favorite two daily trainers is the Brooks Hyperion Max. And uh, the new Clifton's, the whole Okay, Clifton's. all right. So two different shoes, yeah. for sure. So what about each shoe do you like? Um, What I like about the Hyperion Max is, like, most of the time, like, Brooks has this personality or, like, they're known for, like, having heavy shoes. Like, the Ghosts are heavy, the Glycerin are heavy. Uh, but these Hyperion Max, super light, and they just seem to just flow whenever I put them on. And then the Hoka Clifton, they are just tried and true shoes that um, that I've I, I love to wear. Yeah, it's super bouncy. I have the Clifton Nines. I'm a big fan, and I've been this close to buying the Hyperion Max. I don't even know how many times. Probably too many times for me to to, to admit on here where my, my wife might see. But I've been very close. So the fact that you just said it, I don't know, might have sealed the deal for me. <laughs> That's for sure. All right, you do a lot of races. What is your favorite race day shoe? Um, I love a good super shoe. So Addy Zero, Adidas Pros. All right, like the, so they've been, so they've they've the ones, the twos, and the threes. Do you have a favorite version? The twos. I haven't the tried twos. threes yet. Okay, but the twos are gotcha. my favorite. Yeah, so the twos. I thought I like the twos. They were my favorite super shoe. But then on my right foot, I had some issues with like one of the, um, you know, because they have like the. The blade, not the blade. What do they call them? They got the things. Like the little the, the rods. There they go. The rods. They got the energy rods. I had my right foot, I just had a little, little tickle on one of the rods. It's like, oh my gosh, my right foot, my left foot is fine. But my light, the Light Strike Pro, for me, is like, that's my favorite super shoe foam. Okay, yeah. I, is I like the Adidas Light, light Strike Pro. I, I love that so much. So I got to give the I give the Pro 3s a try. Because again, my left foot loved that shoe. Mm. And it was like my right foot, it just didn't quite hit it. Right. And I was like, oh, am I just the wrong size or whatever? But I know Kafuzi loves the, the Pro 3s. Yeah. So now I'm like, I got to give it a try, I think. We'll see. But moving on. Martinez, was there a shoe that you picked up that you just had so much excitement for, but ultimately it just you just couldn't get on with it? Two of them. The Adidas uh, Addy Star and the uh, 44s from Adidas. Oh, okay. The Addy Star. So the Addy Star, when Alex Ginger Williams was on, mm-hmm. that was one of her favorites. So, so, you know, so what? They, what so, so, tell tell me about your emotional journey with the Addy Star in terms of when so, you first you know, saw it. Like, yes, and then have, what happened then? They have these two foams, right? They have like this super lush foam. I forgot the name of it, and then they have like the the pro version of the foam on the heel. That's supposed to be for like heel strikers. Man, that that second piece of foam that's on the heel. It's like a freaking brick. It has no give, no nothing. But then they have like this soft, luscious foam in the front. Um, I really wish they just made it just that one luscious foam all the way through. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Absolutely. Now I'm forgetting the questions. I thought I memorized them. I was like, all right, I don't need to check. I've done this episode, I've done this, this segment five My times. My first favorite running shoe. Um, 
God. Your first favorite running shoe, and then it is um, if money was no object. Okay, here we go. All right. So going back in time, what running shoe? What running shoe did you first fall in love with? Um, the Pegasus before they started to toy around with them. Um, I can't remember which Pegasus it was, but like there was a year where everybody was trying to like um mess with the stack height to like make the shoe faster and more responsive and the year nike did that with the pegasus and uh, i used to love them until that year gosh was that the, was that when it went from the 34 to the 35 it might be i can't remember what number it was but i can tell you i i love pegs until that year now it's over it's now over it's over yeah, I don't. I don't see a lot of people like talking about like that they love the Pegasus anymore. I know it sells a lot, but I don't hear a lot of a lot of evan- no, no more evangelists for the Pegasus mm-hmm. are in my feed anymore. I'll say that. Um, all right, last one before we get going is if money was no object, what shoe would you buy in twenty twenty three? Um, that is a good question. This question stumped me because, um. The shoes that I've been eyeballing that has that has nothing to do with money is the new uh Asics um uh, is it the, the Nimbus? Is the Nimbus twenty five? Yeah, it's the new Nimbus. That that's the shoe I've been eyeballing. I haven't pulled the trigger on them, but that's the shoe I'm I'm definitely eyeballing to get. They're an interesting shoe. I did get a pair. And oh. the upper is like it's so it's like luxurious. It feels like a slipper the upper okay. it's so soft and then the foam it's funny it's like you know some foams if at, at easy paces they feel a little stiffer but the faster you run they get they, like it's like the like the like the hyperion foam like the, mm-hmm. the dna flash in brooks right on easy yeah. pace it kind of feels a little firmer the faster you go gives them more gift i feel like the nimbus 25 is like the opposite like at easy pace it's super soft but then at the faster you go it kind of like toughens up a little bit it gives you a little bit of spring so like I had to get used to it. I was like, wait, what is this mm-hmm. foam all about? And it was like so soft at first. I was like, I don't know. Like this is maybe a little too memory foamish for me. But the more I ran in it, the more I really liked it. So I was a fan because I'm usually on the I like lightweight daily trainers vibe. Yeah. So when I got that, I was like, I don't know how this is gonna fit, but I am a fan for sure. So I would say give it a try. It's, again, it's, I think it's the kind of shoe that's pretty popular. You might be able to try it on in a in a, in a store or whatever. But it was a uh, Definitely, like, if you don't like it for running, you're going to love it for walking around because it's like wearing a slipper outside. Mm-hmm. But, Martinez, thank you so much for coming on the show and for doing the five shoe questions presented by Running Warehouse as well. Again, all of the shoes that Martinez mentioned is going to be in the show notes with links to Running Warehouse. They are affiliate links, which doesn't mean anything for you, but it does help the show. It doesn't change the price at all. Martinez, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for having me, bro.